0: Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Tennis Channel slash Sports Illustrated, Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Our guest this week is Hall of Fame inductee, or at least will be this summer, Michael Steak. He won Wimbledon in 1991, won multiple titles, got to number two in the rankings, had Olympic success, great doubles player, also a uh, humanitarian to this day. He will be inducted alongside Helena Sokova in Newport in July. He was supposed to be in Australia, but he will uh, explain why he didn't make it there. Um, nice to spend half an hour talking with him, one of the, uh, the many good folks in this sport. I think it also gives a window into his induction. Already uh, his qualifications have come a bit under fire, uh, only one major one, but I think you'll see that uh, he certainly maxes out on good guy points, and um, I suspect that was a one reason why a lot of people voted for him um all right here's a very pleasant conversation with uh michael stieg who is in hamburg germany where he joins us congratulations first of all thank you very much very much very much appreciate it we, we missed you in australia but um that's 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 great news well yeah
1: i would have loved to be there I planned everything but uh, my wife was in bed with 40 fever and uh I had to make the choice of going there and not feeling free at all, or just uh, being here and making sure she's going to get healthy. So I took the uh, took the second option, basically.
0: <laughs> good, good man. I I hope she's better. Yeah, she's much better now. Yeah. forty, 40 sounds cold after uh, a few of those days in Melbourne. Yeah, so. <laughs> very true. <laughs> it, uh, it must have been very hot down there, I guess. A, huh? a, few, a few of those days were uh, well un- unbearable, and and that wasn't. Uh, you can, can imagine how it was on the court. Um, yeah. but but you know
1: what? Just just I mean now at least they have the heat policy. When we played, there was no heat policy, and I remember I played one match in center court where it was like forty center the, the degrees Celsius, and I think we measured the court temperature, and I think the court temperature was seventy-five degrees Celsius. Celsius. The surface itself. Yeah.
0: Oh man! I mean, there was uh, there was one day I think it was a hun- hundred fifty something on the. Core temperature. Okay. Um, yeah, and the the trends are uh, the, the the trends are not getting better. But you're right. The the heat policy. Uh, why, why they didn't have it for the women's final remains a mystery. But uh, anyway. Um, well, that's something to contend with. <laughs> Let's uh, not get into that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so so, congrats first of all. I um, what what were the circumstances? How how were you? Did, did I don't know how this works? Did somebody call you up? Do you get an email? How were you alerted that you're uh, a Hall of Fame member for 2018?
1: Well, first of all, you get a you get a call telling you that you are nominated, um, that you are so to say in the group of people of players, ex-players that are nominated for becoming a member of the Hall of Fame, and then uh, there is the election I think which took part after the US Open, and then the process till November, and then I got a call from uh, I think I got a call from Stan Smith actually because I think Todd Martin was uh, on holiday. I think Stan called me and uh, gave me the good news.
0: Is this a big deal for you? I, mean, I, I was talking with, um, we, we did a podcast with Kim Kleister's, um, I guess, last year. And she was saying that in Europe, they don't really have Hall of Fame. And her husband is American. They said, oh, it's a big, big deal. It's great. And she said, oh, now, now I realize what an honor it is. But as a European, it, it didn't really register. Um, where does this, how did you process this? Well, I think she's right. I think
1: as, you know, as Americans have with American football, basketball, and all that stuff, they have all those Hall of Fames. We now have in Germany, from our Olympic Committee, they, they've invented a Hall of Fame, I think, three years ago or something like that. Uh, but they're not celebrating it as much as the Americans. So um, I am very much aware that this is a big deal. And uh, you know, I had a list when I started my career with a couple of points that I, what I wanted to achieve. And obviously, the Hall of Fame was one of the points which you have no influence on, so to say, because you need to be elected. Sure. And uh, I, I think I was nominated twice before, and I didn't get in. So this was my last year, my last chance. So I'm I'm very happy and very proud to be part of the group. So I know it's. Uh, I think the older you get, the
0: more you realize that that, that it is a big deal. What were you, since you brought it up? I'm I'm curious now. I, I always. Thought of you as someone who may, maybe wasn't necessarily one of these kids who just was driven from age five to be Wimbledon champion, that you were sort of the, the accidental champion. What, what were your career goals? Well,
1: you're right. I, I wasn't, uh, I, I never wanted to become a tennis professional because I didn't know what that meant. You know, it was like I love tennis, I play tennis as a junior. When I was 18, I won the German Junior Championship for the first and only time. And then just uh, went to the military and, and then decided to try it out for two years. Got lucky, won a couple of matches and tournaments, and uh, moved very quickly up the rankings. And when I was in the top 100, I was it was like, obviously, want to win a Grand Slam in singles. I always wanted to win a Grand Slam in doubles. I wanted to win the Davis Cup, which was very important for me. Uh, do as well as I could in the German tournaments, which then I won all of them at the end. Winning the Masters was a bonus. That was not really on the list. I didn't really have that uh, put down. But the Hall of Fame, I knew that existed, obviously. And uh, you know that all the greats of our sport are part of that. So that's something that um, was uh, probably way down the list as you were not able to, again, just uh, make that yourself. You need to be elected. And obviously, Olympic Games. So a lot of those goals that I've achieved... uh, uh, I, I dreamed of, let's put it this way. Um and I, I, I would have loved to achieve and uh most of them I did.
0: What what is it like pursuing a career like that when you're you're a late bloomer and I imagine at some level this this is a dream, this is amazing. This is a lot different from being the, the, the six year old kid or the twelve year old kid who's saddled with expectation. What what is it like having a career where this is all fairly unexpected to you?
1: Well, I don't have, I can't compare it because I've never gone the other way, obviously. But uh, I have two older brothers. So, uh, being the youngest, I always wanted to live after the two older brothers. They've given me examples. they, They went to university. They did all the other things, which I thought I wanted to do as well because I wanted to be in that area as successful as they were. And when I then decided to become a tennis professional, it was more like, you know, I'll give it a try. Nicky Pillage really believed in me at the time and told me to, to come down to Munich and work very hard. And uh, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't really know in the beginning what does it mean to be a professional. Where do you go? How do you travel? I mean, which tournaments do you enter? You know, it's like, it's like a, it's a white page where you, where you start to fill your own lines with, with, uh, with stories and, 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 and other things. And then, obviously, um, I knew I was good, I started playing well, and uh, it was not, as you said, it was not like I had to do it, I think, which was a big advantage for me. I really wanted to do it as an adult, as a grown-up, and uh, that just, uh, I think I was more secure and more grown-up as when you are 16, you have just been thrown into this. I, I would have not been able, with 16, to go on the tour and become a tennis professional, so... I think I needed the time, and it really helped me.
0: If you ask fans, mention your name to fans. First thing I suspect most would say is 1991 Wimbledon champion. When, when you look back at your career, what are, what are you most? I, I always am interested. It always seems like athletes view their careers differently than Wikipedia. What, what's your career highlight? Um, obviously, if you look at it just from the sporting aspect, it is Wimbledon, sure, obviously, sure. and
1: the Olympic uh, uh, gold medal which at the time I didn't appreciate as much as I do now, knowing more about the Olympic spirit and all what, what is behind it. Um, emotionally, the win in Hamburg at my hometown tournament was the most important for me, because I went there as a seven-year-old kid, climbing fences, trying to see the old players like Peter McNamara, Manuel Orantes, Harry Solomon, all those guys, and dreaming of playing qualification there once, and then I did, and then I played the main draw, and then I was able to win it. And for me, it was like a circle being close. You know, it's like um, a dream. That was really a dream to participate in that tournament and have a chance to win it, which was far, far away. So emotionally, that is uh, by far the most important win I had.
0: What's your relationship with tennis right now?
1: Um, I'm running the Hamburg tournament. Uh, for 10 years now. This year will be the last year that we're going to do it with our agency and as a tournament director. Um, I follow it, obviously. I, I, I watch tennis, but not every match I can see. I watch a little bit of the Aussie Open, obviously, also the finals. Um, I'm interested, but it's not the main thing in my life. But, I, you know, it's what I know best and where I'm very attached emotionally with.
0: The you we know, f- We have four of the top five players are injured. There there perhaps isn't the variety in the game that there used to be. On the other hand, the Australian Open ends and the first announcement is Kia is going to become the sponsor for an even bigger number. The next announcement is that the broadcast rights are going to fetch even higher prices. Um, Do you you like where tennis is overall these days?
1: (laughs) That's a very philosophical question. Um,
0: I find that...
1: um I I would love to see the younger generation to make a bigger impact. I mean, we all adore Roger for his achievements, for how he's playing tennis, for how he's holding up at the age he's at. But um, the last 10 years with Roger and Rafa and then Novak and and Andy, obviously winning all the big titles within themselves, um, just is missing the variety of characters and players. You know, the guys like Kyrgyz or Sverev or even Dimitrov, those kind of players that could add a little bit, for my part, is missing. Let's not get into too much into the style of tennis. Tennis is an extremely growing sport worldwide, fan-wise and also um, economically. A lot of sponsors see the value of those events. Obviously, the, the gap between the Grand Slams and the rest of the tour is getting a little bit higher right. as the, the Grand Slams are getting more and more important, obviously which is not good because we need to get a good base. We need to get the young people, get connected with tennis again and love to play tennis and see it's a great sport. And it's one of the few sports where parents can really play and compete with their children on one court and have a competition or just play for the fun of it. There's not, not a lot of sport out there where you can really do that. And I think we have to not forget really where we're coming from and not just see, as you said, the sponsors, the media rights and all that stuff um, we, we should not forget the base.
0: What, what players do you like watching play? Federer, I mean, obviously, is the number one answer. If we did this family feud style, but who, who do you enjoy watching when tennis is on TV <laughs> in your house?
1: Well, obviously, I, I love to watch Roger. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I enjoy watching a guy like Kyrgios, but just not just for the sake of the way he plays tennis, but also because of the character he is. Losing his temper, getting emotionally, getting frustrated, being happy. All that is missing with a lot of players out there. They're all very uh, one-minded or single-minded. And if you look back, and our time was not better. The players are so much more physical these days. They're so much fitter than we were. But if you look at our time, you know, you had guys playing surf volley. You had the baselineers, the, base the, the counter-punchers, the, the returners, and the different style of, of play made a little bit more interesting because there was more interaction on the court. Now it's all about hitting as hard as you can and hitting as many shots as you can from the baseline, but the creativity uh, is missing in the game. So uh, I love to watch Dimitrov. I think he's a great player, but I would love for him just to be more creative on court and just use the weapons that he has much more than he does. And uh, I I believe that is missing in the game overall a bit.
0: I remember one of the first Wimbledon's I covered, you... I think you were ghostwriting a, a column or guest writing a column for, I don't know who it was, The Telegraph or The Guardian, and you you sort of said, Roger Federer's terrific, but I think at the peak of my powers, I could have I could have beaten him. And I think your reasoning was really interesting, which is everyone plays the kind of game that he likes them to play. You, you would have attacked him, and you would have served and volleyed, and you would have put pressure on him. Are, are you surprised that um, more players, especially on grass, aren't giving a different look? Well, I am because,
1: I mean, obviously, I've never played on the grass as it is right now. And uh, everyone tells me, well, the grass is so slow and, you know, you can't play surf and volley. I do not believe that because it's not all about power and and the speed. It's also about placement and using the surface for your advantage. If I just hit to the baseline on grass every time with topspin, obviously the ball is bouncing much higher these days. If I play chip and charge or play slices to the service line, well, I'll challenge my opponent. He needs to... He needs to step away from his comfort zone. He needs to get into different positions. And uh, we have seen off-matches like Stachowski, I think, beating Nadal one year or Roger losing to someone one year, where the guys played surf volley all the time and they kept putting pressure and pressure on all the time. And I have not seen any of the top guys these days hitting passing shots over five sets.
0: Exactly. Stachowski they, beat Roger. I think they won't. Right, so, right.
1: But uh, it's always a question, you know, I have the philosophy, Philosophy: if I lose a first set, let's say 6-2, and I see that my tactics doesn't work, well, I'll try something different. Because it doesn't matter if I lose 6-2 or 7-6, as long as I lose, it's a bad result. <laughs> right, right. So I might as well try something and give myself a chance to come out as a winner. If it doesn't work, I'll think of another tactics the next time I go out. But uh, if you look back 10 years ago or 12 years ago when players came off court losing against Roger and saying it was a pleasure to lose against Roger Federer, that's where you feel like, well, please, that's not the competition you want to have on a tennis court, you know, no matter how good the guy is or any of the other guys. But um, just take some risk, you know, try to get away from your comfort zone and try something out. If you lose, well,
0: make it better the next time. Exactly. so I, I was looking up your uh, career record against Sampras. I, w- I always remembered you played him well. Five and four against Pete Sampras. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But I came across while well, I was uh, – the, the Google machine was working for me. I, I came across this. <laughs> Sin- since his retirement, he's devoted most of his time to his own AIDS foundation. Um, I didn't realize that. T- tell us about that.
1: Well, I've set up my foundation for HIV-infected children and aids disease children While I was still playing in '94, so uh, at the time I knew already that my tennis career is is, will be ending at some time, and it's just a short period of my life in general overall. Um, And I knew that I had and wanted to give something back from the great life I was uh, having at the time and making all the money, but also to have something I could uh, spend my time with once I retire. So I started in '94. So in 2019, I will have my foundation for 25 years. At the time, I was the youngest founder of a foundation in Germany. Um, so I set some goals also for, for other athletes that came up, a lot of soccer players afterwards, and every, everybody setting up foundations from sports. And it's very rewarding, and it gives me a lot of pleasure, and it's a lot of um, social responsibility as well that you carry if you help the children, and then you want to bring... Projects uh, on the on the way, and you you need to stay with projects for a long long time. But um, I, I really enjoy it, and I have a great team, and we're a very small team, but it's very satisfying.
0: Uh, obviously, AIDS and HIV treatment, prevention, advocacy is in a much different place now than it was 25 years ago. Where 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 do you do most of your work? Well, the, the general idea of the foundation is to bring a smile
1: to the children's faces. So really give them a chance to have a holiday or to get a new children's bed or some warm clothes for wintertime, things that a lot of those children can't afford, really. And for 10 years now, we do a lot of prevention work. We have a, a big project here in Hamburg, and we're starting to roll out a little bit more German-wide internationally as well, where we bring doctors to schools and we talk with kids about HIV and AIDS, because the education about the subject with the, with the juniors these days is not very good, because... Still in the media, not a lot of uh, stories are being written about HIV and AIDS. You have it popping it up when a guy like, um, uh, here, two and a half men, what's his name? Um, Charlie
0: Sheen. Charlie Sheen
1: um, just comes out and says he has AIDS or he's HIV infected. Then all of a sudden, you know, it's a a prominent person that uh, just uh, says that he is infected. Then it's all of a sudden an issue again. But over the year. The whole year, except the World AIDS Day in Germany, it's not an issue. No one really talks about it, and we try to change that. We try to make people understand the diseases out there. Worldwide, it's going to be one of the most um, devastating diseases the world has ever seen, and we're still not at the end, far away from the end. And uh, the medication has become so much better for people being infected with HIV, obviously, over the years. But still, the uh, the public... Uh, awareness of the disease is i think is as bad as as in the 90s really and no one wants to talk about it yeah
0: how how do you go from that sort of the the, the cognitive dissonance of of that uh, one day and then worrying about the tennis tournament the next day
1: <laughs> well you know the, the the foundation work is is so to say daily work you know we've with we over now 25 years needy we've set up a great a network and all that stuff so you know, you you're thinking very practical in certain areas and issues, but obviously you get you get together with kids that you support. And the great thing that I've learned from the kids, and obviously kids are very honest and very true when they speak that even children with HIV nowadays with the medication, they have dreams, they have hopes, they have plans for their lives, even being um, struck with a very badly disease as HIV. And that just shows me that sometimes I, myself, and other people worry so much about things that are not so important. When you see those kids, they really bring you back down to earth and they make you realize what really is important in life and not the next car or the next holiday or whatever it is. Uh, it gives you pleasure, but uh, it's different to follow your dreams and really uh, deal with a, with, a, with an illness but still have dreams and hopes, which... Uh, just gives me strength. Sometimes it's very sad, but most of the time it's very strengthening and and powerful input that you can use for the rest of the day.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like I need to to tell our listeners uh, how often athletes have these foundations, and then as soon as they retire from sports and their tax consequences change, that the foundations go away. So the fact that you've been doing this for twenty five years is really significant. Is um here is a question for you: Is is Hamburg still the nicest city in the world? <laughs> always
1: has been and always will be. Terrific city, right? Ah, it's beautiful. You know, you got everything, and now even with the with the big uh, concert house. Obviously, you've heard about the Alp Philharmonie, yeah, which yeah, you've exactly, created, right, right, which has gone around the world. It's a, it's a, it's a great thing, and uh, everybody wants to come. to Hamburg needs to go and see this and and see a concert and listen to this. I think it's uh, one of a kind in the world. And uh, with the water, the harbor, the people are great. The weather is shitty, but awesome.
0: that's, that's I always say around it's the world uh, as
1: well. So um, no, I, I love being here. I'm I'm be, I'm a very northern German person, and uh, I, I feel really home here and uh, really happy.
0: Ag- agree or disagree? I always say H- Hamburg is more Scandinavian than uh, Bavarian. It's more, it's more, it's more d- southern Denmark than, uh, than northern Germany.
1: Absolutely. Well, in the old days, it uh, part of Hamburg belonged to Denmark. So maybe that's uh, that's the reason why. I did. I did not know that.
0: Um, we, so we got a couple of uh, a couple of readers passed on questions that they wanted to ask. We can we can do these sure. speed round. Um, uh, curious. What is his relationship, past and present, with BB? I which I assume to be uh, Boris with Brigitte Bardot. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was well, thinking. I yeah, know. you beat me to it. You damn know? it. I was I was trying to she's, think of uh, exactly Bobby Brown, course, Whitney Houston's husband. she's dead. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's Bobby Brown, uh, husband of the late Whitney Houston. Um, what's what's your uh, what's what's your relationship with
1: Boris? Well, we always, you know, during the active time, obviously we were we were direct. um, How do you say this? Um, We, you know, always tried to beat each other, and we were not best friends just for that reason. Uh, We always had the highest respect, also during the active time. Now, we, you know, we sometimes we call each other, we see each other, we have a very relaxed relationship. Uh, We're still very different person and personalities and uh, each one goes his way different than the other, and uh, none of them is better than the other. So, um, again, we have the highest respect, but uh, we don't spend a lot of time together.
0: Good answer. There, there's a, uh, have, have you seen this Netflix documentary on Boris? The Netflix documentary? There was new, a Netflix documentary? Yeah, there's a new, I don't know, it's been out a few weeks. It's very interesting. Adri- I mean, it's very. watch it. I
1: saw it on the German television. I, oh, really I, I, there was one, maybe it's the same. I don't know, but
0: um yeah, it's it about before.
1: his it's about his career and his first Wimbledon title and all that stuff, huh?
0: It's more present tense, but uh yeah, well, we'll okay. watch watch it, we'll have you back and we could do uh we 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 could do a movie review. Um if there if there's one <laughs> player he could coach, who would it be?
1: There's a player I could coach. Well obviously hmm. Roger Federer, but he's too old now. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Um,
1: no, but let, let's put it this way. From the style of play, obviously, Roger is one that comes closest to the way I used to play. If, uh, let's say, if if, if Rafa Nadal would ask me to coach him, I think I would decline because I could not really get so much into his head and help him with this kind of tennis, the style he plays. It's, it's just too far away from my own style. So, I mean, I worked a lot with, uh, with the, the Svarevs, both brothers, Alex and Misha. And I've tried to give input, and obviously um, it's great when you can help a younger player to develop certain skills. Um, but uh, on the tour, I think Dimitrov is a is a kind of player that, as I said before, could use up his potential more and understand the game a little bit different and use all the weapons a little bit differently. But um, I, you know, I don't have the desire to travel around the world for many weeks, so I think it will not happen.
0: So, so finally, the letzte. Who who will introduce you in Newport? Somebody wants to know. Um, I don't know yet. All right, you you have uh, so the ceremony. I should mention this: the ceremony is Saturday, July twenty second. So you have plenty of time. You have uh, absolutely. You have I'll find
1: someone, months. someone exactly. that is important to me.
0: Uh, congratulations again. This is uh, this, this this is big news. You'll be with Helena Sokova. I don't know if you have much of a if you had much interaction with her. Your careers overlapped a little bit, I think. But, um, well, they did
1: forward. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we saw each other on on tour. Yeah, absolutely. You prob- I think you probably knew might her brother be two too. Two or three years older than me, but yeah, not yeah. much older.
0: And you you probably knew her brother as well, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Played doubles against him a lot.
0: The uh, this is b- big news for you. I'm glad your wife is better. Um, it's you you, uh, you you missed a lot of heat in Australia, but we'll uh, we'll see you in Rhode, <laughs> Rhode Island in in six months. We'll hope for the heat in Newport. There you go. Very good. Thanks a lot. Thanks lot. all right Thanks a lot. Take care. Take care. You as well. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. That does it for this week. Thanks to our guest, Michael Schneek. Congratulations to him. Again, he will be inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. That is July 22nd in Newport. That coincides with the event there. I think tickets – I got an email on this. Tickets, uh, I think the first week of February, go on sale online for the uh, – de- Dell Technologies Hall of Fame. Open, as it's now called. But uh, good for Michael Shteeke, Jamie lasanti our trusty producer. Thank you, as always, for your handiwork. And I ask you, as we bring you in, one major title won. Never got to number one in the rankings. Prince of a guy, as you probably uh, could infer from that interview. Is that a Hall of Famer? Yes. I, I'm putting you on the I'm spot. Not, you're
2: putting me on the spot. I don't want to... Denigrate? Yes. But I think that the one major title should be sort of coupled with another, like a number one ranking or some other accomplishments. It just seems a little light to sort of just let everyone in because especially now I feel like we've been seeing so many draws that are wide open and the ability for a player that's not ranked, you know, or just outside the top 50 or something to just come on in and win a major and then sort of maybe never... Do it again for a couple of years or maybe never again at all is You're a possibility. Your
0: 2031 induction class of Elena <laughs> Ostapenko yeah, is what you have in mind. Uh, yeah. No, it's an it. I mean, I think um, I, I didn't want to. It's probably a this was supposed to be congratulatory. It wasn't appropriate to challenge Michael Steak on this. And I suspect uh, he will see in here that this is obviously a swirling issue around uh, the induction of both him and, uh, Helena Sticova. but I've gotten a lot of, uh, on Twitter and, and, over email, I've gotten a lot of questions about, um, the qualifications for the hall of fame. I think it's, it's always an issue. It's, I, I would say intentionally vague and obviously it depends on what we want to wait. And again, maybe there's something to be said that he is a, uh, absolutely lovely guy as you could tell and c- conducted his career like a professional. And I mean, you, you could tell this is a thoroughly upstanding guy, but do oh. you
2: uh, do you think that the tennis Hall of Fame is better or worse than, or you know, the the qualifications is sort of in general than other sport Hall of Fames? I think it's interesting that it's you bring impression. up that yeah. the U.S. and the the American idea of a Hall of Fame is very different from. I remember when we talked to Kim Kleisters and she was very matter of fact Yeah, she's like,
0: I don't. Yeah, she said it's cool, and then. But then no, but then her American boyfriend, who played basketball at Villanova and is steeped in this culture, is oh my god, that's a huge deal. It's Uh, amazing, yeah.
2: So I thought that was so interesting, um, and he and and today, you know, he sort of reiterated that. And so, is is there a,
0: a difference? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Americans come from this, and I think it's not just the fact that we have Hall of Fames, but it's it's a big deal. I mean, there are entire baseball websites devoted to whether you know Tim Raines should get in the Baseball Hall of Fame and. Um, there's statistical cases to be made and it's it's a big deal. Um, no, I, I think tennis' standards are probably it's it's obviously a, a bit of apples and oranges. tennis' standards are going to be a little bit on the light side. That's true. Um, I mean it's the same reason why I think people are crazy to write off tennis players. You, you only need to be good for seven matches. I mean if if one grand slam is is sort of the threshold now, that's 21 sets, 14 if you're female, that's 14 days of good tennis and you suddenly have this career immortality. But anyway, it's it's an issue that I, I suspect will uh will go on. You were giggling, uh you were you were laughing. Yet another uh yet another <laughs> guest does not want to discuss the uh or, or didn't see the Boris Becker documentary. We're going to
2: host a, a living you, room showing of the Boris Becker documentary. I think Becker we need to have a public mailbag I have yet screening. to watch it, so it's, next time i it's going to be on it's my not weekend even that it's,
0: so, it's. I wouldn't say it's necessarily good. It's just so strangely compelling. And what they chose to include and what they chose not to include and the access he gave them, they hardly ever mention Novak Djokovic, which is, I would say, the most significant thing Becker has probably done since his retirement. And yet they also were able to get to, you know, ex-wives and they got to him at the gambling table, at the poker table. It's it's fascinating. Anyway. um, Hour and a
2: half. That's it. Yeah, could, nine,
0: 90 minutes on Netflix. You I can do it. that. There's subtitles. All right. Uh, that does it for this week. We'll have another guest next week. Thanks, Jamie, for spending a few minutes. Uh, and thanks to, uh, to Michael Stieck. I think you can see that um, whatever his qualifications um, in tennis terms, they're certainly buttressed and supplemented by just being an uncommonly good guy and uh that does it for this week thanks for listening you can get this podcast on itunes stitcher or wherever fine podcasts are sold leave a uh leave a rating is that what i'm supposed to say
2: yeah leave a rating apple podcasts we need we really need some more reviews
0: we need some more reviews apparently the other thing too which is a, a bit indelicate but i'll bring it up anyway there have been um some questions about how one sponsors this podcast i intentionally stay out of that conversation but if uh people do want to contact me about sponsorship, I can pass that over to the uh, appropriate salespeople. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Have a good week, everyone.